Uh, today we're, we're closing out a series. We're finishing a 21-day of prayer uh, series in, a church, in, in our church. And so it's been an amazing January. Hopefully you have engaged in it. Even if you started off late, I encourage you to keep going. Even if you missed a couple days, that's okay, you know. I want you to continue to go back to maybe some of the prompts and let this be something that you've established as a little bit of a habit, as a little bit of a pattern of making prayer a priority in your life, to be able to pray. We've been giving you prompts along the, you know, along the way to, to pray for, but you can take anything you want to God. You can, you can just let, you know, let, let something the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray for in that moment out of something you read or a song you're listening to or whatever the case is, and let that continue to be a part of your, your journey this year. Read through the truth uh, for 2019, that slip that we gave you. You can pick up those in the lobby, those passages, and just use those to kind of spark uh, continued prayer life and you, or continued prayer time in your life. I would love to hear uh, what God's been doing in you through this time frame. You can uh, let one of our pastors know. You can email me at pastormatt.thejourneyonline.com. Uh, just real simple to email me, and I'd love to hear a little bit of your story and what God's just been doing uh, through this series. And uh, today, we, as we close, uh, we're going to continue with just the theme verse. What's the heart behind why we did 21 days of prayer, especially at the beginning of the year for a church? Well, it all came from this theme verse and the heart that we have uh, as we continue to pray. And that is this verse from Ephesians 3.20. It says, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work, read those two words with me, within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. And the, and the phrase that we're using to, to line up with this theme verse is the idea that we would ask God to expand our capacity. That not only do we want to ask Him and seek Him to do uh, more than we could ask or imagine in our lives, we want Him to do a work within us. So He can expand. That's like a balloon that just stretches and grows and expands. That He expands our capacity to not only just understand, as we sang this morning, how high and how wide and how long and how deep His love is, but to be able to understand what He wants to do in our lives, within us, and then we get to engage in what uh, really, again, is that more, more than we could ask uh, or imagine. So that's what we've been talking about. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about several things. Uh, we talked about building our God confidence, which is our faith, making sure our faith is in the right thing, not our self-confidence, but our God confidence. We talked about what it looks like to focus and commit and, have, and to be believers who, can, who are not afraid of commitment and focus uh, to align and make sure that we're committing to the right things, not to the outcome, but to the direction and to the leading of the Spirit in our lives. And then last week, we talked about a better you, that there might be some character things uh, that God wants to do in your life for this year. So instead of just an action step of, of a resolution for the year, there's actually a character thing that God wants to do in you as a person and, and work on that and change that and to experience that. And today, the best way we could come up with what we're going to talk about today is that we want to better your odds, okay? That's, that's what we want to talk about today. How can everything you've been praying for in the last 21 days, how can everything that we challenged you in, over as we talked about things in the last few weeks, how can we help better your odds, increase your odds of seeing God do that work 
within you. And so that's, what we're, that's where we're going to be uh, looking at today. Uh, I want to start with this verse. We'll be coming back to the theme of this verse uh, uh, throughout the whole morning. But it's a, it's a verse in the Psalms. We're going to be looking at some Psalms today. We're going to be looking at Psalms next week. Psalms is part of the poetry books uh, in, in Scripture. And, uh, and the beautiful thing about Psalms is not only do they paint beautiful word pictures and imagery, it's a lot of how the poems, not that different than poem, you know, poems today, but a lot of word pictures and imagery for us to kind of see the greatness of God and see ourselves in a certain way. But Psalms take you kind of the highest highs. They also can take you to the lowest lows. They also can be with you in some of the darkest times, which is going to be our next uh, series. And so we're going to be looking at Psalms a lot over the next few weeks. But we're going to close out this series with this Psalm, uh, Psalm uh, 92. And it starts off by saying the righteous, talking about us, talking about those who have been made right with God. It says the righteous will, and I want you to read that word out loud with me. Will what? Flourish like a palm tree, and they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Goes on to say, planted in the house of the Lord, they will, what's the word? Flourish in the courts of our God. And it goes on to say, they will still bear fruit in their old age, and they will stay fresh and green. What a beautiful picture the psalmist is talking about the righteous ones of God. He's talking about, again, this is not necessarily a message about salvation. It's a message about those that are already saved, those that have already been made right with God, that those people have this opportunity to thrive. They have this opportunity to, to prosper, to be blessed, to, uh, to grow. That's that word flourish. Now, everybody say the word flourish. flourish. It's just not a word we use all that often, right? Like guys don't go up to each other and be like, dude, I'm totally flourishing right now. Like it's just, We don't do that, right? That's just not normal. It's, that's not, but that word means so much. It means all those things. It means growing. It means prospering. It means being blessed. It means thriving. And, 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 the, and the psalmist says, you know, he gives a couple pictures like the palm tree and the cedar of Lebanon. Now, both of those are really important. The palm tree really represented, the palm branches have always represented sort of triumph and victory, and, and, uh, and, and they've always been kind of used throughout history as that identifier. And the cedar of Lebanon, just to give you some history there, uh, this would be, the, this would be the, the wood, if you will, that Solomon uses to build the first temple. He uses the cedar of Lebanon, which Cedar was known not only just for being pleasing to look at and being pleasing to smell. How many have ever seen an old cedar chest, right, that still smells really good, you know? <clears throat> but the cedar was also one of the most durable, long-lasting wood that they could use, especially, like I said, when building the temple because it would last so, so many years. And so he says, hey, the righteous are going to flourish like this And he gives those examples of, of the tree, the palm tree, victorious, triumphant, like the cedar, durable, you know, pleasant to the eye, pleasant to smell. And he says, but there, there's, a, there's a stipulation there, who is going to flourish? Who's going to flourish like that? And he goes on to say this, those that are planted in the house of the Lord. The righteous ones that are planted there that are planted in the house of the Lord. And that's what we're really going to talk about a lot uh, today. And so I want to go through a kind of a, a comparison, if you will, or a contrast of two ideas. One is this idea of going to church, and the other is what does it look like to be planted. Again, heart of this message is just to better your odds. I want to increase the odds that you will get to experience a mighty power at work within you. So you can experience and receive and do more than you can ask or imagine through Christ. So that's my goal. 
But I need to talk about sort of the difference, if you will, of what it looks like to be someone who goes to church, going to church, and what it looks like to be planted. Now, going to church is, is a little bit easy. I mean, it's a phrase that maybe some of you have used. How many, just think about it. You don't need to raise your hand or anything, but just think about how often have you actually said that to yourself? Like, am I going to church today? Am I going to church? Oh, yeah, I'm pro- no, I'm probably not going to go. Yeah, I'm probably going to go, right? I'm going to go to church. Or you've heard your kids ask you, you know, hey, are we are we going to church? I mean, we had the game yesterday, and we had, I know we were going to this here. Are we, are we going to church? Are we, are we going to church this, this, uh, this weekend? Maybe you and your spouse, you, you've heard your spouse say it to you, or you've said it to your spouse, like, oh, hey, I know we got to go to your mom's, and I know that we're going uh, over here, and I know we got to do some of these things, but uh, you know, we got to go to Costco and all that kind of thing. Like, but hey, are we, are we going to church? Are, are, we, are we going to church? And maybe that's something that has kind of come through your mind, and I'm not trying to be just negative about just the phrase. It's really a mentality, because obviously you all came to church today, and I'm very thankful for that, right? This message isn't for people who aren't here. Well, it kind of is, but it's also for those who are here. But going to church as a mentality really looks like this. What does it look like when we just go to church? Well, it kind of looks like we, we enjoy this large group atmosphere. We enjoy what we call around here casual community which is that it's a real low hurdle, it's a real low bar. I get to sit with people that look like me and kind of think like me and uh, kind of enjoy some of the things, same things I'm enjoying. Uh, we get to cheer on what the church is doing. We get to like, yay, that's awesome. We hear stuff in the messages. We like the message. We like singing these songs. And we get to come in and nobody really bothers us on the way in. You know, we've kind of made it through the door several times. We know where we're going. Nobody really bothers us on the way out because, you know, unless they put those tables out in front of the door like they do every once in a while, like, you know, nobody really bothers us. So, that's what it looks like when we go to church. It's just, it's just really a nice place to go. It's a nice place to be at and be a part of in terms of just this casual community. Another way it looks like but we go to church, we go to church because we, we have needs. We have needs for our family. We have needs for our kids. We, we have personal needs, things what we're looking for, things that we desire to see. We, you know, we need to be encouraged. We need to be motivated. We need to be filled up like a gas tank. You know, we've, we've spent, all, we spent all we could spend all week long, and we need to be encouraged. We need to be fueled. And, and, and the problem with that is, is that we, we, we hear the volunteer, you know, the people asking for volunteers, and we hear about the trips, and we hear about the experiences, and we hear about all those things, and you, you have that internal wrestling match, you know, while you're here, and that casual community, like, well, you know, I don't know if I can, and I don't know if I, I don't even know when I'm going to church, so I don't know when I can commit to that, you know. And so we, we end up becoming really more consumers than we are contributors, but we, but we, but we go to church. And what we also look like when we go to church is that we, we really don't always know what's going on, okay? Now, I'm, not, I'm picking on most of the room here, but we don't always kind of know what's going on. Number, we can't get here early enough for the announcements, so we really don't know what's going on, unless Matt slips it into his message, you know, unless Matt slips it in there. We don't always know what's going on. We don't always catch the stuff that's going on in the lobby because we try to get out to be able to make lunch and all that kind of thing and, you know, the game and whatever the case is. We, we, you know, we don't always know. We don't all, we probably ever don't read the email, so we don't really know what's happening. Every once in a while, I'll hear something like the Share Hope Project, or we'll hear about a trip or a thing. And, and again, we'll cheer that on, but we don't always know. And we really don't always know, and we therefore really, we're really not connected to the mission and ministry of the church. We really don't have any investment in what does and doesn't happen at the church. We really don't, we don't own any of that. We're not part of those decisions. We're not part of that. But we go to church. So we don't really get the stewardship or the financial investment side of why people would even give and what that looks like and generosity. I mean, maybe we'll give 20 bucks to a kid that's going to Haiti because, you know, they're going to Haiti and I'm not going to Haiti, right? So, so we, we give that and we'll do that. But, but the truth is that we, you know, we're, we're going to church. That's what we do. 
But these are not the people that the psalmist is really talking about. The psalmist is talking about those that are thriving, prospering, growing, experience blessing. Those are the righteous ones that he's talking about. He's not really talking about the mentality that we've somehow adopted in sort of our Western culture of what it looks like to just go to church. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how many of you can, can even say that you are thriving, that that would be a word that flourishing, that that would be even a word that you would claim to use about your life. Oh, sure, maybe your business made more money and you made more money uh, you know, last year than the year before. That's great, but chances are you probably spent just as much money as you made or more, right? Maybe there's not as much chaos happening in your life, and therefore it feels like it's a little bit better. It feels like you're, it's a little lighter. But that is not what you would equate to flourishing in your life. So that's just not a word we'd use. And I, I think it comes back to because the church is filled with people who go to church. We're going to church. Versus this concept, this idea of what it would look like to be planted. And not just to be planted, but specifically to be planted in the house of the Lord, to flourish in the courts of God. Around journey, we use these words. We don't always, you know, we don't use the word be planted because that would sound weird saying that all the time without any context, right? We use the word partnering. And we talk about three things all the time when it comes to this idea of what it looks like to partnering, but at its heart really does have this message of we want people to be planted. We want people to, to, to be engaged, fully engaged in these areas because we know, we know that between the heart and the mind and the body, that there's three ways in which God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And he wants that, but you've got to be planted to be able to experience it. And so I can't talk about all three things. Today I'm going to talk about intentional community because that's the relationship side of being planted. But intentional community, selfless service, financial generosity, these are all parts of what we talk about when it comes to partnering with a local church, partnering with the mission and ministry of Journey. But today I want to focus in, because I just can't do it all, but I want to focus in on the relationship side. What does it look like to be planted in the, in, in the house of the Lord? What does it look like to be planted, as we call it here, partnering at Journey, from the relationship side of things? And we call that intentional uh, community. And we do intentional community through something, primarily through something called groups. All right. Now, groups, just to let you know, if you've ever had an experience with this, groups is just kind of a smaller breakdown. This is kind of considered kind of a corporate gathering. But groups is the idea of something that's smaller circles that meets in homes and coffee shops and things along those lines. That's really what we consider groups to be. And groups, listen, just hear your pastor say this, groups is not the end-all, be-all of the experience that you can have in a church. It's not. We look at groups as just simply an environment that accomplishes something. An environment for us we believe intentional community comes from engaging in groups, and groups look very different at our church, from men's groups to women's groups to couples and, you know, social groups to topic interest groups to discipleship-driven groups, which is a very small two- to three-person kind of group. And we look at all those groups as groups, opportunities, environments, if you will, to see deep meaningful friendships form. That's what it does. It, it has this opportunity to see deep, meaningful friendships happen because 
of people engaging in intentional community, which we do through groups. I love the way Solomon says this in Proverbs, is that as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That it's not just, it's not just that we have a desire or need for friends, everybody can acknowledge that, but Solomon basically says, no, there's, there's actually something, there's a purpose to it, believe it or not, that as iron actually sharpens iron, you need iron to sharpen iron, friends do this in your life. That's, the, that's one of the main purposes of even having these close friend relationships, is that you're going to sharpen each other. That's part of how Solomon says it just works naturally how we are made. So as iron sharpens iron, friends, and friends sharpen friends. But there is a difference when it comes to the friendships in our life. And this is what I want to spend just a minute on today. Because there's lots of ways we could talk about groups and community and, and uh, you know, what kind of groups. I'm not, I'm not going to get into some of the logistics of that. I just want to talk about the heart behind it. Because again, what is the goal? The goal is for you to flourish. The goal is to see you thrive in all those things that you want to see accomplished in your life. So the relationship side is that, yes, you have friends. And most of us have, would say, that we have friends in our life. But there is something different about the kind of friendships that we believe will help you flourish, that we believe will help you grow, that we believe will help you prosper, that we believe will set you up with better odds to see God do an incredible work within us. And that's the difference, I want you to see this, the difference between close friends and Christ-centered friends. Okay, difference between close friends and Christ-centered friends. You, you, you say, hey, man, I have friends. It's great. I have friends at work. I have friends at the gym. I have friends uh, in my, you know, the, the hobbies that I like to do. I have friends in my neighborhood. You know, that's, you know, that's, these are all areas in which we usually gather and, and garner friendships. But there is a little bit of a difference between close friends and Christ-centered friends. As a matter of fact, I love the way Jesus says this. I'm going to read the paraphrase in the message. But these are Jesus' words. And I love the way he talks about the picture of Christ-centered friends. He says this, when two of you get together on anything at all on earth and you make a prayer of it, very important phrase, I'm going to come back to it in a minute, but you make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. He goes into action. And when two or three of you are gathered because of me, because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. I love those words because for me, that really does center us on what what should these friendships look like? What should these relationships consist of? Now, I just want you to hear this clearly. Your close friends, it's not like they're anti-religion, you know, or they're anti-your faith, you know, antagonistic toward your faith. That, that doesn't mean they're not Christ-centered in terms of the difference between close and Christ-centered. Your close friends, it doesn't mean they have to be like that. They might also go to church just like you go to church, right? Your close friends. And Christ-centered relationships does not necessarily mean you know, it's solemn and full of prayer all the time. And, you know, they Jesus juke you if you say something sarcastic. And, you know, they, they, you know or, or they make you feel a little bit of shame and guilt because you're not quite where they are. And maybe there's some self-righteousness that comes in. That's, n- that's not what I'm talking about when it comes to Christ-centered friendships and the difference between Christ-centered and close friendships. I'm talking about the fact that sometimes people get a sense of community from close friends And therefore, they choose not to engage in intentional community that might deliver Christ-centered friendships. Because listen, you again, you might engage in an element of community at work. 
You, have, you might have an amazing work culture. You might have amazing people that are loyal and devoted and friends and, and kind of driven around to support one another, and that's fantastic. You have an element of community happening at work. You might have it with golf, your hobbies, and other things like that. You might have it with your fitness tribe, right? Your fitness tribe is helping you accomplish and overcome you know, challenges mentally and physically. You might have it with, your, again, your hobbies. You might have it with you know, your kids' parents, uh, your kid's friend's parents. Because, you know, you're at the stage in life where, you know, you don't want your kids just playing with other kids that you don't know. You want to get to know their parents. And, you know, friendships can form and support systems can form. And sometimes when that happens, we sort of negate the need for intentional community planted in the house of the Lord because we have elements of community in our life. But I wrote down this list, and this is just a, a part of what I processed as I was thinking through the Christ-centered relationships that I've experienced in my life, that it looks different. Here's how they look different. They pray for you sometimes when you don't even know they're praying for you and your family. That because they themselves are planted, they themselves are growing and expanding their capacity and their faith and their understanding of God, they're listening to the Holy Spirit, and maybe through the week they hear, they, they get a prompting that, you know, you still have that struggle or your kid's going through that thing and, and they pray for you. You might not know they prayed for you because all they did was send a text and say, hey, I'm just curious if anything happened with that. But there's a real possibility they're praying for you that you don't even know they're praying for you. They challenge sometimes your faulty thinking. But here's the difference between close friends and Christ-centered friends. You want people to challenge. Again, iron sharpens iron. You want people to challenge sometimes your, your faulty thinking, your faulty ideas. But they challenge you with scriptural truth, right? Not, not just feelings or philosophy. They're not challenging you because, well, they just don't look at life the same way you do or they don't feel the same thing you're feeling. No, they challenge you with the fact that, hey, is that what God says about that? I don't know if God really believes what you are actually currently believing. They encourage your God confidence. They motivate and encourage you towards your God confidence, not your self-confidence. Like, you got this, girl. Like, that's, now you don't get that. You might get that, but they, they, if they're really fil fulfilling that Christ-centered friendship, they're going to encourage you towards God. They're going to encourage you to have your confidence and trust in Him. They, they practice a submission to one another because of Christ, which means they're, they're able to put your needs ahead of their needs and not give you guilt about that later on and not hold that over you. They want you to, this is an important one, they want you to flourish, not necessarily be happy. And here's, and here's what I see. This is a little bit more a modern context, but here's what I see happen a lot in terms of, of close friends and your, your partial community versus Christ-centered relationships and intentional community. What I see sometimes is that you know, you're, you're upset with your boss and you're upset with what's happening at work and you're feeling, and you're feeling you know, uh, discouraged and you're sharing that with your close friends and you know, they're, they're looking at you and they're trying to encourage you and they're hoping, they're wanting you to be happy and well, maybe you need to do this and maybe you need to sidestep that and maybe you need to you know, tell that boss off and maybe you need, you know, because their primary goal is your happiness. Now, you might get some of that same thing from, from an intentional uh, friendship, but you might also get from someone who's a little more Christ-centered, well, what, is, what do you feel like God wants you to do right now at work? What, what do you think the Spirit is saying? Like, are you done at that job? Have you been released from that job? Well, if you've been released from that job, well, then just trust God. Go ahead and leave. 
Don't hold on to the material. Go, go ahead and he has something else for you. And puts again back on God. I see it oftentimes happen in marriages. Marriages where people are beginning to struggle and they've gone through some very difficult times and very hard times and, and she goes to her close friends and he goes to his close friends and, and they, you know, they're sharing all their grief and their struggle and their unhappiness. And those close friends, all they want to do is see people be happy. Well, you need to go ahead and leave. Hey, you can stay at my house. You, you go ahead and, you know, this is what you need to tell her, and this is what you need to demand of him, and here's, here's how this can look. And listen, God just, he doesn't want you to go through that kind of, he doesn't want you to have that kind of marriage. You can find somebody better. You can go do this. That's what close friends do because their primary goal is your happiness. Where a Christ-centered friend might try to encourage you in, the, in a similar way, but at the end of the day, they're going to come back to, what does God want to do in your marriage? Are you fighting for it the way you believe Jesus is fighting for you? You know God hates divorce. So why is that even an option? Why is that coming out of your mouth? What, what does it look like for you to begin? To, what, what does it look like for you to start the submission train, not them? What does it look like? And I, and I see that more often than anything is just in those close kind of controversial things that close friends are driven by your happiness. Christ-centered friends want you to be happy, but more than that, they want you to flourish. They want the best of what God wants for you. They accept you for where you are in your journey, but they don't want you to stay there. So there's no judgment. They're not judgmental, but they are going to encourage and motivate you towards good judgment, which is wisdom. Like they're, they're okay that you're struggling. They're okay that where you are, they're not going to put judgment on you, but man, they're going to challenge you and, and focus on you starting to use good judgment, you starting to use wisdom in your circumstances. And you know what? They also will motivate you to be planted. That's just, that's just part of it. And I, and I share that to say that's, this has been some of the experiences that I've had with Christ-centered friendships, Christ-centered relationships that, 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 that form because I've engaged in different environments of intentional community. Now, I'll share another brief, brief um, example of this. Just going back to even some of the words that Jesus said, you can also tell a Christ-centered friendship when you start to engage in a conversation with your friend, whether you're celebrating something or whether you're talking about something challenging, and you know, you know right then, even in the midst of conversation, that that conversation is actually a prayer. And you have the peace that even in the midst of talking with that friend, that Jesus is there and that he hears it. That's not a close friend. That's a Christ-centered friend. That is a friendship that goes beyond common interests, but that you are connected because of him. And so maybe, maybe, I'm saying this maybe, I don't know where everybody is, but maybe, maybe this year, 2019, you are one relationship away from changing your life. You are one relationship away. You've, you don't even know what you're, you're missing. And we're going to do a groups thing in a few weeks. I don't even know when it's going to happen sometime in February. But, but we're going you know, to have some opportunities and some environments for you to begin to choose some aspects and steps of intentional community. And there could be a, a person you're going to meet. You don't even know them right now. They could be sitting two seats away from you. And getting to know them deeper and beginning to have that, that, that relationship where you are known and you, you know them well and you become known to them. That's going to change your life. 
and the way you view relationships. Or maybe, and I have to say this because this is one that challenges me, or maybe you're the one relationship that's going to change someone's life. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's not even for you. It's for someone else. Guys, intentional community challenges me all the time. I'll be honest, because I've got to experience some incredible Christ-centered friendships, and I enjoy having those people in my life, and it's real easy to get to a point where I have them, and I don't need any more, right? I don't need any more. My life group's been together for maybe five or six years, and we don't want anybody else to come in, you know? We want to keep it. We don't want to go through the hassle of getting to know people again or trying to, trying to encourage this. And maybe, just maybe... God's saying, listen, idiot, that's not about you, right? You're being challenged with intentional community because you have experienced Christ-centered friendships that someone else needs to experience. Chris has been asking over the last few weeks for people that want to, you know, lead groups and start groups. Why? Because this is, again, this is part of what we do as a church. These are the environments that we use to help foster and introduce these kind of Christ-centered friendships. Maybe you're supposed to do that. Maybe, and I'm not saying you reject your close friends or you negate the, you know, the Christ-centered friends you already have. I'm just saying you might, be, you might be getting challenged that you're the one. Your life is the one that's going to change someone else's life forever. Right? I, I wanted to give you a quick visual as we kind of close down. One of the things I love about these Christ-centered friendships, this intentional community, is to understand that this is how we were made. This is how God designed us as people. This is how God designed us as creatures. And one of the beautiful pictures that I, that I read recently, not that long ago, was about the root system of the redwood tree. Okay, I may know the redwoods. You know what I'm talking about, right? The redwoods out in California, out on the West Coast, the redwoods are some of the tallest trees in the world. Talk about, talk about flourishing, right? They can be 30 stories tall and up to three stories wide. Okay? We're talking about massive trees. They look kind of, you see a picture, they might even look a little scrawny, you know, far away. But when you start getting pictures really close up, they're massive trees. And believe it or not, there's something very unique about the redwoods root system, very different than other trees. Redwoods, very seldom do you see a redwood standing by itself. Why? Because its root system works like this. Instead of spending energy, tons of energy, trying to dig itself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the earth, It uses all of its energy to spread out its root system almost 100 to 150 feet. It only goes down at most maybe a story. But it goes out 100 to 150 feet. And what it does is it finds the other redwood roots and they intertwine and they actually sometimes even begin to fuse together. So how are the redwoods able to thrive? How are they able to thrive in the storms? How are they able to thrive in the harsh wind that comes? How are they able to thrive through the fires? How are they, how are they able to survive and thrive when they are so shallow in terms of their height, stature, and width? How in the world do they withstand? Well, they withstand it because in every direction, they are locked in to another tree. Their roots are locked in to another system. And guys, I mean, it's just a picture. That's how we were designed. That's how we were created. Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes. He said, 
By yourself, you are unprotected, but with a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? I love that he asked the question there, right? Can you round up a third one? Yeah, why? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. I mean, let's face it, our need for friends, yes, we gather with friends when it's fun and celebrating. That's part of, you know, having relationships and enjoying life. But, you know, when we really need friends, it's usually because life hit the fan, right? It's usually because there's a crisis. It's usually because there's a need. There's an emotional trauma. There's, there's a drought. There's, a, there's, a, there's an issue, you know, just with, with, with a lack of feeling like there's life. There's a the lack of feeling like there's hope. We reach out to our friends. And here's Solomon saying, look, when, that, when these things happen like that redwood, like, like you're going to stand because of the people you're connected to. And I really hope they're not your close friends. I really hope they're your Christ-centered friends. Because they're the ones you're going to actually fuse with. They're the ones you're actually going to get the support, the real support you need to continue to thrive and continue to flourish. This is another passage that's similar to the psalm that we read, but I love this passage. This is one, whenever I think about roots and trees, and this is a pretty well-known passage, but I love, again, the picture here where it says, but blessed, everybody say blessed. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Talk about God confidence, right? They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Jesus is that picture of living water, and so Jeremiah uses this beautiful picture of the tree that stretches its roots out, not just to each other, not just you know, like the redwoods, but stretches its roots out to the living water. So that no matter the heat, when the heat comes, no matter when the problems come, no matter when the droughts come, You can stay fresh and healthy and alive. You don't have to fear it. There are no worries with that. And you will never fail to produce fruit. You're not limited in capacity. You can continue to grow and expand in capacity. So here's the challenge today. Please don't settle. Don't settle for going to church when you could be planted and flourish. Right? Well, don't, don't settle for going to church when this is your option. And, and I want to say this really clearly and, and try to explain it just so you know my heart. But we have the data to prove this. We have, we have the statistical data from years and years and years of being at Journey. That if you come for the message and you come for the worship and you come with the casual community and you go to church here, then after about a year to two years, you will no longer be going to church here. It's just the way it is. We have the, you could be an anomaly again, but we have the data to show that if you do not take steps to get planted in the house of the Lord, you will never get to experience the flourishing that is promised there in that psalm. You don't get to experience that. And again, I don't know which one of these three things would challenge you the most. You know, the, uh, the intentional community, the selfless service, the financial generosity. Like, I don't know which one will challenge you the most. I can tell you this. I've been at this church for oh, this year, this summer will be 13 years that we've been a part of Journey Church. 13 years we've been here. And these three things still challenge me. 
because I am always challenged to continue to be a partner and to be planted in the house of the Lord. This isn't a, I've accomplished it, I'm doing all three things and I'm done. This is the fact that no matter what happens in the seasons of my life, sometimes things fall off, sometimes I'm challenged financially and with my generosity, sometimes I'm challenged with why I serve and when I don't want to serve and, and, and is that selfish of me or selfless of me. Sometimes, again, I'm, I'm challenged with intentional community, not because I don't already have some experience in it, but because I need to be open for, for someone else, for me to be that for someone else in their life. It doesn't matter how long I've been here. I am always challenged. And sometimes, listen, people can take steps and then they pull away and they take steps and go, oh my, you know, I, my, now my job, my full-time job, it's just, it's requiring so much of me. I just can't give what I really want to give. Or we just had a baby, you know, and we had to pull away a little bit and kind of pull away and we, we really intend to be back, you know? I, I, you know, we, we want to give more, but, you know, we, you know, she lost her job and I lost, you know, we had a transition and, you know, now things in the crisis of the economy and it's just, you know, we're just not doing, I'd love to be able to give or give a little bit more, but we just, we had to pull back. We just, we just can't. And I'm just telling you, people, people will eventually leave. People just fade away because they uproot themselves and they don't continue to be challenged to be planted. And all I can say is that if you are not flourishing, if you are not flourishing, there's probably something on this list that you need to be challenged by. If you are not flourishing, the chances are that you are not fully engaged, you are not fully planted. And I, and I said this in the first service, and I hope you take it with the spirit which it comes out, but the truth is if you're not planted here and you can't get planted here or you simply choose not to, please leave. It's not that I don't want you here. I want everybody to be planted at Journey. I love Journey. It's not just because I'm the pastor. I love this church. I think we make it extraordinarily clear and as easy as we possibly can for you to take the next steps in your journey so that you can be planted and thrive and grow. But if you don't want to and you're not going to, then go somewhere else and get planted. Because the heart that I'm telling you this from is because God wants you to thrive. He wants you to flourish. Not sit in a church and go to church. It's not what God wants for you. So here, we, we want you to do it here. I mean, we, we'll give you every opportunity we possibly can to be that here, to fully engage here, to be challenged in one of these areas. But man, it's up to you. You've got to make that choice. And Jesus, when Jesus gave the parable of tossing the seed out, tossing that seed out, and some fell on the, on the, on the, on the pavement and the sidewalk, some fell in the, in the thorns and the bushes, some fell on the gravel road, and some fell on fertile soil. The reality is, is that you have to continually be challenged to do this because you don't know. Some of that stuff's going to fall on that, that, the, that soil and take root a little bit, but the thorns of your life are going to choke it out. So you need to be challenged. Fertile soil doesn't mean it just was fertile once. Fertile soil means it is continually fertile. It doesn't see the, the, the 60 and the 100-fold you know, life and the thriving and the flourishing. It doesn't see that without the time of it continuing to be fertile. I want you to flourish. 
Everybody say flourish. That's my heart. That's my desire for everyone that calls Journey Home. So we're going to do something different today as we close. I'm going to have you guys, we're not going to do a prayer. I'm going to close with a benediction. And the reason I want to close with the benediction is because you probably didn't know this, but the scripture passage that we've been using for this entire series is actually a prayer of blessing. It is actually a benedictory statement in Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus. And I know some people, if you weren't raised in church, you have no idea. You think I'm talking about breakfast food. It's not, okay? Benediction. It's, it's part of liturgy, okay? But the difference today is that normally a benediction is prayed over and spoken over from a priest or a pastor to its people. But I want us to read it all together today so that we can all receive this prayer, this blessing from God himself. So stand up. Everybody stand up. This is how we do it in the traditional church. In case you didn't know, proper way to receive a benediction is palms up. Again, this is normally because a priest or a pastor or someone who's reading the benediction is praying it over you, and you are the one receiving it. I'm going to hold my hands open because I want to receive the blessing too, all right? Let's all read this prayer of blessing together. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. Amen.